It's uh. It's, it's, it's much easier just to look down at my notes because out of our teaching pastors, I'm the only one who has tear ducts. <laughs> you guys sit down. Let's, let's dig in. Just going to not look at you for a few minutes. This is how I parent my kids. Just stand there. If I look at you, I'll cry or laugh. Man, it is, it is an honor to get to preach and saturate. I was thinking about that this week and, and, um, like my name doesn't belong with the names that stood here this week. It just doesn't. It doesn't, right? You tell me and that's great and I'll pay you later. But um, like I, I look and I just see lead pastors and men of God like Ryan Kwan who just freaking carved my heart up on Wednesday night and Ray Cortese, right? We bring an old white Presbyterian with dockers and a shirt and he cusses more than we've ever cussed in church. <laughs> I, t- I texted Pastor Britt and said, you're wide open next time you preach, bro. <laughs> and then, you know, Pastor Leon's crump, man, just, just laid it out. And then Shane and Shane, I mean, Shane and Shane taught me how to worship, right? I mean, they're awesome. Thank you. And, and I mean, I, I literally, I say they taught me how to worship because, I mean, I was at this field out in Texas when, when I was a freshman in college and um, I went because it was like Louis Gigolo and Piper and, and David Crowder. And then I get, and it's like Shane and Shane. I'm like, that's like the worst band name ever. <laughs> the only way it could get worse is if you named your church after random numbers. It's the only thing you could do to get more confusing. And I remember sitting down in the field and listening to these guys just, they were triple, triple strumming. Like, I don't know, I was like, what? In the, I, I thought the Lord was coming back. I thought that's what the trumpets of the Lord sounded like. And uh, I mean, honestly, man, thank you for teaching me to worship as just a college freshman. And I owe most of my coming out of the hymnal and meeting Jesus to, to you guys. And so um, I, just, I just find myself a little bit uncomfortable up here, which is probably good because the Lord tends to use me more when I'm uncomfortable than when I think I can do this, right? And um, I mean, t- tomorrow uh, my pastor is gonna be up here teaching and he's one of the best preachers I know. And so to even, like, you can, if you're gonna clap, clap. I mean, I mean, you clapping like you, you clapping like you're Florida State today or something. That was horrible. Too soon, sorry. And so I just began to think about preaching and preaching tonight and teaching and opening up God's word. And um, I just thought, well, let's, we should do the Psalms, you know, and I, I can't do Psalms three. I don't know how to write songs. So I just figured we'd go to Psalms one and just teach the original Psalms. And um, I began to think about, you know, let's do Psalms 84. Like how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord? We could just talk about how majestic and beautiful the Lord is. And I thought, well, what about Psalms 96? We could just dig and sing to the Lord and bless his name. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is feared above all gods. And I thought, man, we could just get into his glorious nature and just sit there for a minute. And every time I began to open and study and dig in, the Lord just kept going, no, 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 let's do Psalms 51. And I was like, God, I don't know if you know what that one is. He does. And I said, uh, I said, God, I mean, like Psalms is just packed 
full of verses that magnify your name. God, there's, there's so many Psalms that make me feel good. Let's do one of those. Like there's so many Psalms that just pushed me towards intimacy with Jesus. And God just kept going, no, 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 no. I want you to open Psalms 51. And I just began to think, and here's what Psalms 51 is. It's the repentance of David. Like it, it's this gut-riching reminder of man's depravity. Here's the backstory. I'll wrap it up real quick. You're going to have to read it yourself uh, to get all the stories. But David was supposed to be off the war and he saw this good looking fox named Bathsheba. And he said, I would like to know her. And he wasn't like, what's her name on Facebook? He was like, I'd like to know her biblically, right? Psalms 51 starts with, and this is a Psalm David wrote after he went into Bathsheba. That's graphic, right? And so that's what's happening. He sees Bathsheba, he hollers at her and it becomes a problem because he he, kind of knocks her up. He gets her pregnant and her husband is, off at war fighting a war for David. So David says, no problem, bring him back, give him some liquor, send him home. We'll just, we'll just pretend like he got his wife pregnant. But, but Uriah, this, this guy comes home, he's got too much character. And he says, if we're supposed to be off at war, I'll sleep in the streets before I go into my house and, and betray my men. So David knocks up Bathsheba and then he sends Uriah back to the front line. He literally knocks up Bathsheba and knocks, knocks off Uriah, he sends him back to his death. And David's like, no problem. I slept this all under the rug. This is great. And then Nathan shows up and says, King, you have sinned against God. And here's here's what I've realized in studying is that Psalms 51 is actually one of the most beautiful worship experiences in all the scripture. Here's why. Because it is a reminder that David was at his lowest and most wretched moment, but God. I mean, you can't get worse than like being king. You should be off to war. You, you just grab this girl, you abuse your power, you impregnate her, you kill her husband, you try to sweep everything under the rug. You are wretched, you're a horrible leader. And yet God says, I'm gonna redeem you and I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna make you mine, not because of anything you did, but because I have chosen you. I believe our depravity The fact that on our own, we are wretched, black-hearted sinners should be the starting point of our worship. I mean, just think about this. A holy and perfectly pure God chooses to send his son to redeem us and to stir in us a love for him that is both unmatchable, unimaginable, unmatchable, and unchangeable. You see, Psalms 51 is a reminder that our worship is rooted in our repentance. Here's Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, block out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I don't know if you've had this moment where you go, I have sinned and my sin is ever before me. I can't sleep, I can't eat, I can't wake, I can't work, I can't numb it, I can't blind myself to it, but my sin is just ever before me and what I need is mercy. You see, repentance starts with this honest self-evaluation in which we go, you know what? I need to get honest about my actions. Here's the truth, church. Until we are ready to call our sin, sin, we don't need a savior. Like until we're ready to go, I'm a wretched, black-hearted sinner, we do not need Jesus to come in and and bring our dead heart to life. Here's where sometimes I read this and I go, I've already repented. Man, I was six years old when I surrendered my life to Jesus. I'm good, I'm in, I'm great right? 
I mean, I, I've been a Christian longer than some of you have been alive, right? And some of you are really old, right? And so here's the deal. I, I, I meet Jesus. I love Jesus. And then I read this Psalms. And what I'm reminded of is, is what Luther said, that the Christian life is one of daily repentance, that I should ever always constantly be thinking, uh, my sin is constantly before me and I desperately need your mercy, oh God. As I was preparing this, this question just kept rolling in my heart. How often am I repenting of my sin? Not how often am I sinning, that's an easy one, daily, right? I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. I just think evil thoughts all the time. <laughs> You ever step on a Lego at 3 a.m. in the morning, you do not cry out, sing for the Lord a new song. <laughs> you curse, I mean, I'm cursing their mother for birthing them when a Lego gets under my foot. <laughs> Verse four, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is called ownership. This is when repentance becomes personal because we own the fact that I was not even born good. It was not I was born good and there was just slow, gentle slope, this gentle slide towards wretchedness, but sinful and self-indulgence is my nature from birth. Verse six, behold, you delight in truth in my inner being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You see what's happening here? David goes, I'm gonna own my sin. I own my sin. I need mercy. I'm wretched from day one. And yet God, you still choose to teach me. Do you know why David is even able to go, I am wretched and I need mercy? Because God is so kind that his kindness leads David to the point in which David can see his own actions as sin. Like, just let this sit in for a second. The fact that we even come to God and go, God, I, I want your mercy starts with him going, you want my mercy, come ask for it and I'll give it to you. There's nothing in our wretchedness that just drives us to the point that we're like, you know what, one day I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna surrender my kingdom and I'd like to go serve a king of, somebody else, of someone else's kingdom. It's actually God's mercy and kindness that we even know we need his mercy and kindness. Repentance leads us to a place when we begin to own repentance, when we begin to own this, I need a savior. It begins to lead us to this restoration. Until we own our sin, healing is not even there for us to grab because we're too busy clinging to our own self-righteousness. Verse seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So badly, I wanna take you into Levitical law right now for the next three hours. I don't have time for that, but let me just tell you this. Hyssop, hyssop was the Levitical law. It was a Levitical prescription to be cleansed from touching a dead body. Here's what David says. My sin is so nasty. It's like walking among the dead. Verse eight, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you broke rejoice. In other words, God, the crushing you did to me, it leads me to rejoicing. It is the kindness of God to crush us in our sin that our broken bones would be put back together and healed and made whole in which we can engage in rejoicing. Now, verse nine, hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. That word there in verse 10 that says, create in me a clean heart, it's using the Hebrew word bara, which means to start from scratch or to make from nothing. 
This is the same word that is used in Genesis when it says God created the heavens and the earth. There were no heavens and the earth, and then there were. There was nothing, and then God said, and there was. And what David is saying in here is don't start, don't do a fixer-upper on my heart. Like this is not an old beat down Chevy that we're gonna make look nice. God, scratch my heart and give me something new because my heart just wants to fill my idols. It just wants to run after what I long for. And David says, restore, restore me, renew me, create in me, give me a heart that only you can give me. Verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Here's what David realizes and here's what I've been praying and begging the Lord to help us realize. David realizes this, I deserve isolation. But God, oh God, please restore the sweetness of your life-giving breath. You see, from Genesis on, you know, man was created with the breath of God. He breathed life into him. And Adam sins. We all inherit that. We begin to walk in that. And what every single one of us deserves, but by our own actions, we deserve to be isolated from the presence of God. That's what we have earned. And yet David, he says, don't cast me away. Don't get rid of me. Restore to me the sweetness of your life giving breath. What David found was this desperation for God that said, God, I have sinned against you and you only. I'm owning it. I'm jacked up. I'm wretched. And God, what I deserve more than anything is to be cast from your presence. Yet God, take the crushing of my bones, build them together, heal my bones, put me in your presence and breathe sweetness on me again. My, my prayer for us in a, in, a, in a church culture that's saturated by feelings and emotions, the American church we were in that just, how did you feel? How did you think? Is that we will lose this reality that holiness is something that's described throughout all of scripture that God says, I am holy and be holy as I am holy. And it should lead us to a place of brokenness. It should lead us to a place in which we just cry out and repent. God, I need you. I'm crushed. The best I could do led to my crushing. You see, repentance leads to restoration. And here's where restoration leads to worship. Because when, we, when, when the Lord begins to restore us and begin to breathe his sweet breath upon us and gives us life, restoration every single time leads us to response. Verse 13, then then I will teach, your, teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. So those of you who are singing quietly, you should read a Bible verse, get on it. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You see, the right response to restoration is that we glorify God in witness and worship. Every, I mean, Isaiah 6, Luke 5, I can just walk you through text by text where someone meets Jesus, they encounter God, and their only response, the natural response, is to begin to witness of his character and his glory and worship him. See, the deeper we grasp our wretchedness and our desperate need, the louder we proclaim his glory like children in a burning building crying out for their father to rescue them. 
Our worship is a response to the truth that you and I were once enemies of the most high God, that you and I were once, we were treacherous rebel combatants who were not only brought into the royal family, we were brought into the royal family by the death of its king. You see, we come from a place of wretchedness and when we begin to repent that, the Lord just begins to restore us and say, you know what? It's not enough to just get you off the battlefield. You are mine. Here's the robe. Here's the ring. Here's the last name. If anyone ever says you are a rebel again, they are my enemy and I got it. Verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it to you. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You see, God is not content in religious activity, but he delights in brokenness. He is not content. God is not sitting in heaven going, you know what, that person right there, they, they were at every night of saturated. They even went to every service on Sunday. Like just, wow. They knew every word. They, they got on Spotify and learned every word of every Shane and Shane song, just in case Shane and Shane decided to sing a song that we didn't know about. They just, boom, I know them all. Like the God is not sitting there going, I'm so impressed with your activity. Here's what God delights and he delights in brokenness. He delights in a contrite heart to which honestly I'll read it and go, great, I got a contrite heart. You know why? Because I'm from South Georgia. I don't know what a contrite heart is. It's easy. You got a contrite heart? Two of them. I don't, I, I don't know what to do with that. So I had to actually look it up. It's from this Latin word that means to wear away of something hard. You see, I have a hard heart. I have a stubborn heart. I have a heart that thinks God is ultimately impressed by what I can do instead of just delighting in the brokenness and the restoration and delighting in the righteousness given to me from Christ on the cross. I have this hard heart that thinks now that Christ has gotten me in, it is up to me to impress God from here. The council of Trent said it's this, it's the sorrow of our hearts and the destination of our sins committed. It is this purpose of our heart that we long to no longer sin in the future. It's an inner repentance. The most intimate of worship is rooted in the most sincerest of repentance because the most wretched of sinners is most overwhelmingly grateful for the kindness of the Savior. Let me say that again. The most intimate of worship is rooted in the most sincerest of repentance because the most wretched of sinners is most overwhelmingly grateful for the kindness of a savior. Here's what I mean by that. It means if I come here thinking that God is impressed with me, I will never have intimacy with him in worship because you know what? I have never actually come to, start to, to the starting blocks. Like the starting blocks of worship is not me. Like the starting blocks of worship is God is majestic and glorious and he created all things and spun all things into existence and he does not need me. One of the things Shane and Shane has taught me tonight is that a righteous racket is about as good as I'm ever gonna get. Like I can't even sing in seven octaves at one time. There's two guys up here in 78 voices. I have no clue what's happening. And I began to realize tonight that even my most righteous racket, if I come in thinking God is so impressed, I mean, I've heard it preached that God just, he just loves your voice. Here's, here's why he loves your voice. Because he gave you your voice. Here's why he loves your worship. Because he stirred in you worship. 
You see, we do not worship God without God stirring in us this desire to repent and be broken and have a contrite heart that says, God, here is my hard heart. Break it, crush it, just step on it. Whatever you have to do, God, I long to know you and to know you clean and clear and pure. Church, we have to take holiness seriously. Let's not mistake the kindness and patience of God as accepting our lack of holiness. Let's not pretend that when we lack holiness, it's okay. It's, it's not. God, God is so kind that he actually allows us to surrender to him instead of forcing our hand to the plow of obedience. Now, I am not trying to stir in us this righteousness that comes from the law. What I'm trying to stir in us is this longing for holiness that leads us to brokenness, that in our brokenness, God might crush us even a little bit more. And in our crushing, we might repent. And in our repentance, God might rush to us and restore us and make us righteous because of what Christ did on the cross. And that our response would be a, a heart of worship. Instead of trying to just go, I'm going to kind of just live a little bit more for me. Why don't we repent? Why don't we just surrender and just go, Lord, there are still things in my life that every single day I try to pick up and I try to live for me. And when we, when we repent, maybe we would just begin to beg, Lord, restore me. And then our response to the person and the work of Jesus Christ is one of witness and worship. So tonight, as we continue, here's how we're gonna continue. I'm gonna invite us to, to repent. I'm gonna invite us to allow the Lord to restore us. And I'm gonna invite us to respond as loud as we can. Here's how we're gonna repent. Have a contrite heart. Like, go, God, what's in my hard heart? Just ask him. I bet he'll tell you. I bet most of us don't ask because we really don't wanna know. I wanna just be okay with being okay. And God wants to crush me and make me righteous and make me whole and take the brokenness away and get rid of it and walk me in the righteousness of Christ. And yet there's so many of us, me included, that just says, I'm okay with being okay. Let's, let's take holiness seriously. I'm gonna pray for us in just a second. And as I pray, I'm gonna invite you to come and move. I'm gonna invite you to move and come and pray at the altars, to kneel on the carpets, to just come and stand and just physically move and say, I'm moving because I'm stubborn and my heart is hard and I'm, ask, I'm, I'm repentant of sins that I, I've carried and I'm just coming to lay them down. And as we repent, I'm gonna ask the Lord to move us to a place of restoration and around the room where all the lanterns are. We've got uh, self-serve communion. You have an opportunity to go and, and to take uh, the body, the bread of Christ and to dip it in the cup. Catholics don't drink our cup. You're just going to dip it in the cup. All right. And here's what I'm praying for us tonight, that we would take communion from a place of desperation, not from ritual. My prayer for us all week long is that as we get to this moment, as we literally physically come and repent, and then as we go to the communion stations and we take communion, that it would be a place of, from desperation, that Lord, I've repented, I, I've laid it all down, and woe is me, for I have sinned against you. Would you refresh me with a, with a clean heart? Would you remind me of the joy of your salvation? And literally through communion, I believe God's gonna remind us of the joy of our salvation. And then you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna respond well. We're gonna sing loud. Not because God is impressed with our voices, because we are impressed with his. 
not because God is just overwhelmed with our musical ability, but because God leads us. His kindness leads us to repentance. His repentance leads us to restoration and restoration of God in our life. The only thing we can do is respond. So church, I'm gonna invite you. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me as I pray. And even as I pray, I'm gonna invite some of you because the bold ones are always first. And as I pray, some of you just need to come right now and begin to lead and repent. And we're gonna come, we're gonna repent. We're gonna ask the Lord to just crush us, crush us for your sake. And then we're gonna get one by one, however the Lord leads you, you're gonna go and take communion. And then you're gonna come back to your seat and sing as loud as you can. So come right now. Let's begin to repent right now. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you love us. Jesus, I pray. Lord, I pray with everything I am. God, would you break us? God, would we not come here thinking that that you're impressed with us, but that you're impressed with the son that died on the cross for us? And God, would you break us? God, may the broken bones, may the bones that you have crushed God, may we admit them and repent that from our sin. And in this moment in communion, would you restore us? Would you remind us of the joy of your salvation that as we take the body that was broken for our brokenness and the blood that was spilt for our wretchedness, may we know that you have made us whole and that you have given us life. And God, would we respond as a church that sees our sins and sees our saviors and choose to serve and love our Savior? And we pray all this in your precious and holy name. Amen.